something you probably do know. Progressive can not only offer you a great price when you bundle home and auto, they offer you round-the-clock protection. Something you probably don't know, the average oak tree branch can hold 70 pounds. Something you probably do know, your neighbor is building their kid a treehouse. Something you probably don't know, a falling treehouse would take out your whole fence. Bundle your home and auto with Progressive and get more than a great price. Get round-the-clock protection. Something you know for the things you don't know. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Three, two, one. Never has there been a better time to be alive in human history. If you're not feeling it, you must discover why. Join Matthew Bolton in developing and applying a framework of objective optimism toward a flourishing life of meaning, health, and happiness. Here's your host, Matthew Bolton. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mr. Brightside. I'm Matthew Bolton. Today's show is called Matthew McConaughey. Thanks. It'd be a lot cooler if you were selfish. Oh, my God. I did. I did just do Matthew McConaughey for you right away. That's all you're getting today. Now, um, you have to try. Everybody's got to try their Matthew McConaughey on. But anyway, uh, the, the title's called that because he actually has a quote that I've learned is, is quite famous about where he, he, he talks about his idea of being selfish and why he thinks uh, it's got a bad rap. Um, I only first heard of it last year when I saw him on Larry King Live. And this uh, interview, as it turns out, is, only, is actually from 2014. Um, but anyway... The, as I watched him, he was going on and I was enjoying what he was talking about in general. And then Larry put a question to him that made me perk right up. And I'm going to go to it right away and we're going to see uh, – today what we'll do is we're actually – I'm going to play clips from the video, um, that, especially the relevant segment that I'm going to talk about. And we're going to break down what Matthew says. Um, but first, we'll, we'll go right to it uh, right away and see what Larry said that made me jump right up. Last year, in terms of your career, you said, I've got much more selfish. I'm a fan of the word selfish. I am less concerned what people think of me. I'm not worried about how I'm perceived. Selfish has always gotten a bad rap. You should do for you. I wanted new experiences. Yes. You're not an Ayn Rand guy, are you? So that's it. If you guys uh, if you guys know anything about me or if maybe you can identify through just the kind of ideas I share, uh, Ayn Rand has had a profound influence on me and uh, you know I'd call myself an Ayn Rand guy. Um, certainly I've, I've taken ideas from lots of people and I think there's a lot of great ideas out there but Ayn Rand, nobody's in- influenced me more fundamentally as a thinker than Ayn Rand and in fact it's her that's taught me how to think fundamentally and, and how to integrate everybody's ideas and actually judge what are, what are good and what are bad ideas in general. So um, you know – and, and Ayn Rand herself, um, when you bring up this name, it's, it's quite a controversial name. Just be, it's kind of like people either love or hate her. And you can even hear it in Larry's tone. He, he actually just says, you're not an Ayn Rand guy, are you? It's almost an accusation to say that. And the main reason people kind of ha- have, you know, it, there's this kind of polarizing effect is because of her ethics. And, you know, she has a book called The Virtue of Selfishness. It's an anthology of, of essays and, and, and articles that – on that theme, and and just the idea of that makes people pull back. Um, but here, Matthew is trying to defend the concept of self. He says, "I think the word the word has a bad rap, and you should do for you." And as Larry asks him about it, he kind of he tries to ex- you know, articulate what his position is and what he means all by that. And he does pretty well most of the time, but it is infused with some kind of contradictions and some kind of confusion. And I hope today to iron that out, uh, you know, for him and. For me and for you, right? And uh, and I really want to explore this idea because I think um, it's it's really uh, an important, well, among the most fundamental issues that we have to deal with. 
And of course, as much as I say Larry's kind of accusing him, he does go on to properly to ask what does he mean by the word, and he actually has a really good conversation with him about it, and he's he's certainly interested to, to understand the, the concept and, and not really deride. So, well, good on Larry, but let's uh, continue hearing what he has to say about it. Right. Yeah. No. I don't, I don't think so. In terms of selfish, how do you define the word? Um, look, I think anything... The, the ideal spot, all right, where I like to be, and I'm not always there, but where I love to be is when what I'm doing selfishly for me, even hedonistically for me, happens to be what's best for the most amount of people. That's the sweet spot. But then that's for guys like Jesus Christ and so what have you, other prophets. <laughs> I'm, like I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm there very, very, you know, very few times, Emma, but that's the spot. And I think anything, look, look at Interstellar, any, what Cooper does, he's taking, he, he wants to fly selfishly. To live his dream. Is it also for the chance to actually save mankind? Yeah, but he also has his own personal quest that if he didn't get to, he's got some spite for this world because that's what he's supposed to do. He's a, his home is in the cockpit. So I think I like to personally try and find a selfish reason why I want to do everything. And there we go. And there's there's where he starts to, to explain what he means. He's trying to find a selfish reason. Um, but I'm going to suggest to him that in his statement, it implies one of these mistaken premises that leads to future contradictions and then subsequently undercuts one's self-esteem. So the mistaken premise here is that the moral purpose of one's life is to consider others above oneself. And this is the key issue of the whole thing. Um, service to others being the moral justification for your own existence, right? He says that you know what he does selfishly for him happens to be what's good for the most amount of people. And, and I wonder, I want to ask, why? Um, why does what's good for you have to be what's good for the most amount of people? Where, where did these other people get such a lofty status, these others? And why are they superior to you? Why is their happiness superior to yours? And, and, you know, and then he also, a little bit of confusion that he brings up Jesus Christ as an example of this. And you could argue whether or not Jesus helped people. Let's say he, he really he redeemed their sins, etc. But you wouldn't call him selfish at all. So I don't know how Jesus got to be an example of what he means by following, you know, his own, you know, doing what's selfish for him. And then it works out. Cooper's a better example in his film Interstellar. He said that Cooper wants to live his dream. He wants to, uh, to, to fly and go into space and, and uh, to live his dream. And by doing that, he also benefits mankind. And this is more akin to what I think uh, you know, Ayn Rand's conception is. Uh, but again, you can see the, the confusion here. Now, we have to give Matthew that he's speaking extemporaneously. He's trying to work it out. So I'm not going to say, you know, is that your final? And, and criticize him that way. Um, but you can see there's a lot of confusion here. Uh, and, and I want to try to help him sort it out. And of course, Matthew's by far not alone in accepting this premise explicitly. Most people hold some version of the others before self thing. You, you hear it all the time. What is a good person? Well, he thinks of others before himself. He puts others' interests above his own. What a good guy, right? He, he, he doesn't think of himself first. Don't think of yourself first. So this is kind of, we hear this, this idea a lot, and this is generally what's taken to be a moral or a good person. But of course, not everybody does this. And in fact, taken as a moral principle, a principle meaning that you're, you're trying to apply it consistently, um, you, you find that it's impossible to practice. In any case, between should I try to pursue my own interests or consider the interests of others above my own. If you do that consistently, it's going to lead you to the loss of values. And ultimately, you could, you could take it to the extreme and say it's death. Um, and so in, in effect, it's an impossible morality to practice consistently. And that's kind of the point of it. The point of it is to, uh, well, what do, we, what do we feel when we, we hold one thing as good and then we do the opposite of what we say or, or we don't live up to it? We feel guilty. And guilt... Uh, is a powerful weapon. And uh, I think that's kind of the main point of it. And 
Ayn Rand challenges it, and I want to challenge it. And Matthew is attempting to challenge it, but not quite so much. And I don't know if you want to say, well, no, people don't mean that. But I want to ask you if, if the following pattern isn't recognizable. So you go about your life. You're constantly trying to satisfy your own needs and, and to advance your own lot. You seek self-improvement. You seek a better job, a better home, a more comfortable, safer car for your family, the healthiest food, the best education for your kids, better opportunities for yourself and for your kids, right? a better place to live in which they may thrive and, and you may see, like you say, see yourself thrive and see your kids thrive. Um, you're just constantly thinking about how, what can I do in, in my life and how can I be better? On this show, we're talking about optimizing your health and optimizing your happiness in life and trying to follow your dreams and, and follow your goals and pursue your passion, etc. I mean, this is all pretty self-absorbed. It's pretty selfish, you might say. Um, and then what happens is as you're, you're starting to do that, you're starting to do these things and you're starting to see your life get better and you're starting to feel a glow of pride about it and self-esteem. And then someone can come around and say, so when was the last time you thought about other people other than yourself? When was the last time you gave a thought to the other people out there who are struggling, etc., blah, blah, blah. And what do you do? You say, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I guess I'm, well, I know there's something good in what I'm doing. It must be good to, to, to pursue your own values. But yet, yeah, you're right. I'm, I guess I'm kind of a bad guy morally. Like maybe practically I'm kind of practicing some kind of good qualities or something that I can't define. But yeah, morally, you're right. I'm a bad guy. And what is that? So again, as I said, what this does is make you feel guilt. And to assuage that guilt, people might try, as Matthew has at last, to kind of say, well, maybe if I, in the sweet spot, if I kind of pursue all these things in the right way, it might happen to be what's also best for the most amount of people. And nobody's buying this, right? Everybody knows in common wisdom that two wrongs don't make a right. So nobody believes that by engaging in some kind of magical combination of, of all these vices, you know, pursuing selfish interests and values, that it's somehow going to add up to virtue. So this is a big mess and it's a very unnecessary mess, right? What if there was a morality that, you know, was not defined in opposition to human success and individual happiness, but in accordance with it? What if that vice that we talk about, that pursuing your values is actually good? What if the moral were also the practical? Well, I've got news for you. It is. And let's find out more about that. So how we can begin to get this is first ask a question that Matthew might ask himself and we all should ask ourselves. And it, regarding the moral status of other, others in relation to ourselves is why, right? Why have, have we to consider my usefulness to others as a moral justification for my existence? Why does the happiness and welfare of others supersede my own? Who says so? Where's the proof of this? And then aren't they selfish if they benefit from my sacrifice, if they take it, right? And if they are selfish and accepting, then does that mean that virtue consists of serving this kind of vice, this kind of vicious people? And also, shouldn't the other people, from, from their perspective, shouldn't I be the moral prop, the proper moral beneficiary of their actions? And then how does that work? Would I, wouldn't I be a selfish guy if I accept their sacrifice? So this whole idea of sacrifice and being selfish and this balance of all, it's, uh, it doesn't work. So this is all just a big confusion. But instead of being ensnared in this nonsense, and it is nonsense, an Ayn Rand guy would learn to discover that our own life is the justific justification for our own existence, right? And we also recognize that this is true for every other person. So if, I, if I'm looking out, I don't believe that I'm the center of the universe and that that's the justification for, for everything. I'm saying that other people, from their perspective, their life is most important to them and it ought to be. And if we all respect that, then there's no clash in interest. And we'll see more about that as we go along here. Stick with us. Everything.
Um, yeah, I understand that. And also there's delayed gratification is what I'm saying. If you, What is selfish is not necessarily I have to have the pleasure right now. Because if you get the pleasure right now but you have a bad hangover tomorrow, that's not very selfish. Also, if you're lying, cheating, and stealing, that may be yeah. selfish right then. But that means you got to walk out in the world and look over so your shoulder. In a sense, I'm selfish. Because I want this show to do well. Yeah. Do well with projects. Right. If you, and if you're going to screw some people over, is that selfish? Not really. Maybe you get maybe you get the reward immediately. But that also means you've got to look over your shoulder wherever you go. That also means that you can't really walk freely uh, around the world. So that would be not selfish. So there's Matthew giving us a lead into what it really means to be selfish. And I think he does very well. And we're going we're gonna to use that to to get into it a little bit later. But I want to go back to his early remark about hedonism. He says, what I'm doing selfishly for me, even hedonistically for me, and he goes on. So he's equating hedonism and, and selfishness. And I want to say here that if, if one wants to put over an impractical or evil idea, you have two, two things you can do. You can either lie about its nature, right? Kind of like put a, a wolf in sheep's clothing, or you can create a false and more unattractive alternative. So that means that you set up a straw man in effect uh, as the antithesis of the idea that you want to peddle, and then you denounce it as an unequivocal evil, right? So in this case, you say that others first is a really good thing, and that's what you want to do. It and what it means is you're kind and benevolent to people and all that. That's the the wolf in sheep's clothing. But then, as we've saw the confusion in that, if you really take that seriously, how does it work that you consistently put others' interest above your own? Like you have to pursue value. So it's very confusing and impractical. And then you start to question that and say, well, what's the opposite then? It's selfishness. And what does that mean? It means hedonism. So while the ethics of others first has no real basis or proof in reality and it's confusing, contradictory, it's impossible to practice, the alternative is to be a hedonist and just walk over everybody towards your selfish ends and and do whatever you want and and kind of basically hurt other people in order to to succeed. Um, And Ayn Rand puts it this way. She says, you can either be a sucker or a bloodsucker. And most people, including me, in an alternative of that kind, I I would really prefer to be a sucker than a bloodsucker. But of course, I resent the sucker role, but nonetheless, I would choose it. But then we've got to look at hedonism. Is hedonism really compatible with what Matthew was calling aptly doing for you? He said, you should do for you. But then he also says, if I'm being hedonistic, that's doing for me and blah, blah, blah. So are they the same thing at all? I I think they're quite opposites. And and Matthew even almost gets this. You heard what he said. Um, he, he gave those examples of hangovers, lying, stealing, cheating. Uh, he he uh, referred to delayed gratification. Everybody knows about that. And in when he when he talks like that, he sounds he does sound like an Ayn Rand guy. Um, but as he allows this concept of hedonism to mingle with that concept, it's it's kind of um, it's kind of a mix up, and we have to sort this out. So in order to sort it out, to think think clearly on this crucial subject, we have to define what hedonism is. So hedonism is primarily a devotion to pleasure as a way of life. It's the doctrine that pleasure is the highest good. And pleasure, of course, is characterized by immediate gratification, satisfaction, or delight. And it emphasizes the frivolous nature of that which we pursue. So that's all hedonism. Now, this is very distinct from authentic happiness, or what I call on this show, flourishing or thriving, Right? This is characterized by an integration of rational values like health, material prosperity, genuine emotional happiness founded on a genuine or righteously earned self-esteem. And the emphasis here is on the rational rigor that these values require to attain. So we've got you know, just following your whims and your, your emotions to you know, satisfy immediate desires and, 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 and wants versus deciding what is good for me, figuring out 
what it requires to achieve those things. And we know this is true. I mean, just take a, a very easy one to understand, like physical health, right? If you just try to do it in a hedonistic way, so I'm going to get health as the value. Well, I'm going to go for it. I feel hungry. I guess I'm going to eat some donuts. I'm just going to do whatever I want and do follow my feelings toward whatever. You're never going to achieve health. You have to def- like understand what health is. You have to understand nutrition and the, the science and principles of, of, as I say, proper nutrition and, and exercise and what you know how the body works, etc. To achieve it, and it takes it. It's a very, it's a moral achievement to achieve health and happiness and, and any other rational value. So Matthew's right when he says that maybe you get the reward immediately, but that also means you've got to look over your shoulder wherever you go. It also means that you can't walk freely around the world. So that would be not selfish, he said. And he's right. Like screwing people over is not to your selfish advantage. It is actually self-destructive. But I'm going to add here that it's not just because you have to look over your shoulder. It's also true that you can't look yourself in the mirror, right? The, I mean, if I'm going to put it, if I'm going to be a philosopher and, and come back at that idea, right, we have to challenge it. And I would say, well, yeah, that's not enough. To, to say it's bad for you because what if we could guarantee that we didn't get caught? What if I have an impeccable alibi or what if somebody else has already been caught and, I, and I'm scot-free? You could put a lot of that looking over your shoulder to rest. And then – so then is it bad to, to kind of screw people over? Well, the real self-destruction in screwing people over is that you destroy your integrity. And integrity is an indispensable, indispensable foundation to your self-esteem. Ayn Rand defines happiness as a state of non-contradictory joy. I love that. And – to have integrity, what does that mean? It means to be integrated without contradiction. It means that one does not separate one's current actions from one's future. And I think that it's really intellectually sloppy to say that you know something might be selfish in the short term, but then self-destructive in the long term. You know, and then we so we're sometimes snatching at selfishness, and then we're trying to sacrifice sometimes. Um, this is this is no good, and we have to sort this out. And Matthew even seems to get this. Uh, at one point, he refers explicitly to pleasure-seeking, you remember. He said, what is selfish is not necessarily, well, I have to have the pleasure right now. Because if you get the pleasure right now, but you have a bad hangover tomorrow, that's not, self- that's not very selfish. There is no thing as good for me now and bad for me later. There's only good for me or bad for me. We are rational and we can project the future. We live long range. And we must account for that fact. A hedonist doesn't account for anything. That They don't account for anything but their own feelings of the moment. And they do not achieve anything what would come close to call non-contradictory joy. And this is why Ayn Rand refers to her concept of selfishness as rational egoism, which is really a redundancy. There is no irrational egoism because the irrational leads not to the success but to the frustration of one's goals. And this is what I say in regard to optimism. I always say subjective optimism is is a contradiction in terms. Only objective optimism is real optimism, and actually it is a redundancy. But why do we have this? Because we have pessimism, and it kind of has a veneer of rationality because it seems like kind of you're, you're kind of looking at the reality of things and you see that there are bad things, but you really discount or undervalue the good. And it, so ultimately it's not a, a proper policy or a good mental method to achieve any kind of, any kind of positive value. But when people challenge it a bit, they look and say, well, what's the alternative? Optimism. And then it's the subjective optimist, the blind optimist, the cockeyed optimist who just kind of hopes and says, you know, it's all going to be good regardless of the, the, the stuff that's going on around them and don't really focus on objective reality and trying to pursue rational values. So we go, well, that's, that's kind of irrational. So I guess I got to be a pessimist. That's the default. No, these are false alternatives again. It's a subjective pessimist, a subjective irrational 
object, uh, optimist. No, there's an objective optimist. It's the only one. Values like physical and mental health, material prosperity, meaningful relationships, self-esteem, and genuine happiness have causes. And it's only the mind that can identify and pursue them. So uh, I always refer to think and thrive as a kind of summary of a moral ideal. Thrive is like the moral goal and thinking is, is the ultimate uh, moral means. Right? And if think and thrive is a moral summary, then its antithesis is do what you feel like and achieve nothing but inevitable failure and self-destruction. So we'll go on in the clip, and in response to a question from Larry, Matthew makes a really eloquent description of what it means to think long-range, and I just love it so much. Let's go on and see what he says. Are you, are you happy in your fame? Yeah, I am pretty happy in my fame. I mean, I, you know, I cashed that check a long time ago. So I just, I've, I've worked to embrace it and say, well, let me understand how my, what my relationship is with it because I'm not gonna, I don't want to fight against it. Again, if I, run, if I really want to fight against it, there are places on the globe I could move. You know, I know some places in Northwest Africa where nobody would know my name nor give a damn. <laughs> so, you know, so I'm not going to really stay here and kind of about it. So relationship-wise is, is instead of probably in my life now, I look at it less like, oh, I'm this guy. And I'm famous. I'm like, no, you know what? I'm, I'm a kind of, hey, I happen to be a celebrity. I'm also an actor. I'm also a father. I am also this. And throw them all in the pot and say it's part of the deal. And you accept all the good and bad that goes with that, right? It's big, Kevin. I mean, it's going to be much more good it is what bad. It, is. it has its annoyances, sure. but So, again, I just love this idea of cashing that check. He says, you know, this is what a successful career in acting means. This is what fame means. Given the full context, Matthew must ask himself, is fame good for me? Or bad for me? Do I want it and everything it entails, even all the trade-offs? You do? Well, then cash that check. And this is what it means, in my view, to have integrity. He doesn't attempt to separate some of his choices today with who he is tomorrow. That's hedonism, not self-interest. Each of us is an integrated being, and we must preserve that integrity. We must think, what choices am I going to make that comprise who I am? Are they consistent with my other values and the whole of who I propose to be? Given all that comes with the deal, are they good for me or bad for me? After clear, careful, rational consideration of what this means for my life, in the full context, do I want it? Yes? Then cash it. And then don't, don't talk about it's bad for me later, right? And I'm going to give you a few examples. So let's consider. Do I want to be a parent? In what ways will this enrich my life? Right? What comes as part of the deal? I understand being a parent is not all just sunshine and lollipops, right? There's other, there's ups and downs. But on the whole, do you want it? Is it good for you or bad for you in your life to have kids in your life? If so, cash it. If not, don't cash that check. So how about another? Should I take this job? How will it enrich my life? Will I be challenged intellectually? Will I be compensated satisfactorily? Will I, you know, is that, do I get paid enough? Will I be fulfilled creatively, etc.? And what am I giving up as part of the deal? What, is the, what are the trade-offs to taking this job as opposed to this one? So given the full context, do I want to take this job? Is it good for my life? Cash it. Cash that check. Thank you, Matthew, for this great expression, by the way. How about this marriage? And this is the one I I, discussed, I used on Happy Wife, Happy Life last week, if you want to listen to it, right? But it was basically the same thing. When I considered marrying my wife, I thought, I, I thought how will this enrich my life? What parts of my life will change as part of the deal, right? I, I said last week that I didn't imagine that I was just going to maintain everything I have in my life and then just add that without any trade-offs, right? I know, I understand. So on the whole... Is it better to be married or better to be single? And on the whole, I definitely thought it's better to have this person in my life. So I cashed that check. 
Now, the final illustration I'll give on this point is from Ben Shapiro uh, when he appeared on the Rubin Report a couple years ago. That's Dave Rubin's show. And I'll just play the clip. Let's go. I think that on capitalism, there's been very, there's very few expositors of capitalism who I think are better than Ayn Rand. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as her life philosophy uh, and her relationship philosophy, I think that's pretty garbage. Uh, I, I don't think objectivism applies in personal relationships. Now, the way that a lot of objectivists get around the idea that like you're going to abandon your wife and children because there's a hot chick at the bar, because uh, the, objectivists... Well, they would say that's not rational self-interest. Right. right. So they'll, re- they'll redefine the terminology, right? They'll say that you're not making a sacrifice for your wife and children. You've made a decision that it makes you happier to be with your wife and children, and the rational person would make that decision that it's better to be with your wife and children. A lot of 40-year-old men driving Corvettes would disagree, right? So, they, so I, I really don't think that's correct. I think I, that, I, I wonder if they disagree or they just have a moment of stupidity. I mean, you know? maybe, but you know, it's the president's been married three times each time to a, to a younger, hotter model. So it's you know, I think right. that uh, I have less faith in in human nature than to believe that the reason I stick with my wife and kids is because it always makes me happy. There's plenty of times when I'm with a screaming child in the middle of the night when what would best serve my interests is to thrust the child upon my <laughs> wife and go drinking. So. So this is just really disappointing and tedious, frankly, coming from a brilliant guy like Ben Shapiro who should know better. He's just erecting this classic straw man, and I don't see how he can't understand this idea. Nobody's saying that marriage means you're just happy all the time. When I referred to marital bliss last week on the show, I didn't mean that my wife and I are just floating around every day in this uh, euphoria. In, you know, I, I mean, obviously there's ups and downs, there's sober moments. But over on the whole, my life is just much better, right? There's not happiness doesn't mean you're just up and down at every moment. Same with parental bliss; it's the same thing. It doesn't mean that you just get joy and wonder from your kids all the time. Ask any parent, right? But on the whole, again, having a kid is good for your life versus not. And if it's not, well, you should really think carefully at whether whether you want to be a parent. Or And it's the same thing when I talk about on the show that I'm happy or that I'm living a flourishing life. It's not that I just go skipping around all day, singing, whistling like a lunatic or something. Although my wife and friends would probably be like, yeah, you do. (laughs) But but that's not true. But I I guess I am pretty uh, enthusiastic and, and buoyant all the time. But anyway... But it's not, it's not true. Obviously, I have ups and downs and, and, again, sober moments in my life. And it's not that's not what happiness means. Happiness is, as Ayn Rand says, a state of non-contradictory joy. It's a state of – a contented state of health, prosperity and happiness, right, according to human flourishing definition or eudaimonia. And I don't get how Ben Shapiro does not get this. I mean let's just put ourselves in that position. So we go to the bar and there's the hot chick at the bar. And she's looking at you and it's – and it's it, basically you have a shot. Now what do you do? Now just imagine. We're rational as I said. We can project the future. So let's imagine the scenario. You go for it. Now really, project that future. Is it a good future? Right? You go home that night or, or the next day say, right? How does that work? How do you even – you know, what will this mean to me on that day and all the days I must live for the rest of my life, the days I cannot separate from this immediate moment and that I must integrate into the whole of my life and of who I am? Can I look at my wife ever again? Can I bear thinking about what it will mean to her? Is it possible to have a happy marriage henceforth? And what if I had children? I don't, but what if I did have children? How will this affect them? Right? How could I continue to look, look them in the eyes straight and speak to them of integrity and virtue for the rest of my life? Can I claim any credibility to anyone whatsoever in the future? Can I stand to look at myself in the mirror ever again if I did that? Cash that check if you dare. But don't call yourself selfish. Don't accuse yourself of such a 
thing as being selfish, right? You'll have chosen to annihilate supremely cherished values, everything in your life, in one single hedonistic impulse. So whatever pleasure you get from like a, that lustful night with the hot chick or whatever you think it is, separated and, con- and in contradiction to the whole of your life and values, it's your integrity which is sacrificed most irrevocably. This disintegrated state makes self-esteem impossible, and this is what it means, people, to be unable to look oneself in the mirror. And then I think it's grotesque and preposterous to equate such pleasures as we might have enjoyed with that exalted state of non-contradictory joy, which I call the crown of integrated virtue. So seriously, with the ability to project that miserable future, understanding all that comes with the deal, taking that deal is bad for you. It is the opposite of selfish. It is self-destructive. Like, you don't get that? Give me a break. Who, how can you not get that? And you know, it's too bad that my first kind of dealing with Ben Shapiro at all it happens to be something negative because I really he's a brilliant guy. I respect a lot of what he does. But on these moral issues, he just fails. And it really undercuts his credibility because, you know, I've seen him do this kind of thing where he deals in some kind of economic issue or political issue and then somebody poses a question or tries to stump him or something and he comes back with one of these kind of quick quips and it seems to destroy the person. And you're like, oh my God, he just... And then, and then somebody writes it like Ben Shapiro destroys so and so on whatever and you look and then you unpack what he actually said and then you go back and, and then you discover oh he did destroy that person his, his argument's totally right and he summed it up pretty good in that quip but then he goes and does this one and he says uh, you know there's a lot of 40 year olds in Corvettes that disagree and you just go <laughs> you, you look at it and you think okay he seems to have destroyed it but then you unpack what it is as we've just done and you go oh like that is totally not what what Ayn Rand said. Now, for regular people, laymen, let's say, and people in general who don't quite get this right away, I always can forgive that because – go back to my episode, Be Kind, episode six, I believe. Look, it's not people's – it's hard to get these ideas. But Ben Shapiro is supposed to be an intellectual. He's read Ayn Rand and he's brilliant. How could he read her and not get this out of it? He's, it's clearly evasive and this is what undercuts his credibility. So why then? Why the evasion of something that seems pretty clear? Like I think it, we've done well here to, to lay out a rational conception of what it really means to pursue your values. It's not just stealing and grabbing and you know getting with a hot chick, right? Uh, and destroying every value you have, right? I mean, I, I don't know why Ben would stay with his wife. I imagine, I guess he does it out of duty. I mean, he sacrifices his own happiness for his wife and his kids. Like, is that? I mean, that doesn't sound like anything to do with love or anything. What it is, is that, again, they're holding on to this image because they want to maintain their their morality that's of others first and sacrifice and stuff like that. And they know that in the face of a rational definition, it, everybody will just jump ship and drop that hot potato, right? But if you, if you continue to convince people that selfishness means these bad things, again, sucker or bloodsucker, they're going to probably choose to be a sucker. So we have to continue to ask why do people evade this – what I think is quite simple to understand. And there are a few different motives with varying degrees of corruption and I want to lay them out really quickly. As to the most evil, um, I've said before that guilt is a really powerful weapon for people who want to have power over others, power lusters. So we can see why religious leaders, politicians, would-be dictators and the like have a vested interest in endorsing this credo of service and self-sacrifice. Right? Ayn Rand explains it this way and I just love this. She says, it stands to reason that where there's sacrifice, there's someone collecting sacrificial offerings. Where there's service, there's someone being served. 
The man who speaks to you of sacrifice speaks of slaves and masters and intends to be the master. Of course, then, such power lusters are keen to keep us in the fog as to what these concepts actually mean and what it really means to be selfish. Both. They want to distort selfishness and they also want to put their wolf in sheep's clothing. But what about the others who allow themselves to be kept in the fog, even after the issues made clear, as I think we partly did today, and certainly in Ayn Rand's writings. Well, for some people who are older, and I think Ben Shapiro might fall into this category, I don't, certainly don't think he's power-lusting, it's that they dare not risk a challenge to their religion or to a morality that they've believed for so long, as in a tragically ironic way, they view it as a threat to their integrity. So rather than face the prospect of betraying their long-time code, they'll evade such clear illustrations as we've just laid out, and instead they'll cling to, exaggerate, and propagate various distortions of Ayn Rand's view of rational self-interest and call, you know, putting it into hedonism and, and uh, pleasure-seeking. And then I think that for those younger and more innocent, it's often some mixture of envy and a lack of self-confidence. But even this self-confidence is, in my view, exacerbated by the guilt that's wrought by the other's first peddlers, and it becomes a kind of vicious cycle. So you have a bit of moral self-doubt, and then you feel the guilt because from failing to live up to this impossibly impossible moral code, and then you feel even more moral self-doubt. And then the envy comes in by, by those people who point to examples, and when there are successful, happy people, they point to them and say, though that's the cause of your uh, you know, misery and, and your suffering, emotional or material, they're the cause of your distress because they're being selfish, right? They should be sacrificing for other people. And you're like, yeah, they're not. So it's really all just wrong. Add to those latter two groups that it's really difficult to think about complicated issues. So in that way, when I think about it, if you look back at my Be Kind episode, I accuse the intellectuals more than anybody else. They are the guiltiest. It's their job to make things clear rather than obfuscate things. And they obfuscate and distort these clear ideas, right? And then they, they're put out in the culture and people accept them. And to those more innocent, I offer up what Matthew McConaughey has put out and what I've tried to uh, lay out here and certainly Ayn Rand has in her books, this concept of rational egoism, which is the antidote to all this nonsense. You should look firsthand, read firsthand, and think for yourself and, and understand what she actually said. And certainly of anything, you should do this all the time with anybody. And then if you do discover that pursuing your own life and seeking to, op- to live an optimal life and, and, and pursuing your values and your dreams, etc., this is what morality is all about. And I hope you can discover that before it's too late. And, and I want to add that because we have free will, even at my age or older, it's never too late. So let's move on now to a final clip. It's in the Q&A near the end of the show. Uh, they, Larry takes listener questions and somebody asked Matthew a question. Here's his answer. Does aging scare you? Jennifer Cameron on Facebook. Do you see aging as a door into new and different roles? You're not aging yet, are you? I mean, I am aging. Shoot. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I'm in, I mean, so far I've enjoyed the aging process. We're getting older. I don't know. You customize more, as you know. You customize more in your yes, life. I, I know. You know, <laughs> you know what you like. You know what works for you. You know what doesn't. That, uh, that leads to some more self-satisfaction and happiness. <laughs> so here, again, I just love this. And when I hear him say customizing more your life, I hear more thinking, more thriving, right? And who's thriving is he talking about? He's talking about your own thriving. He, you know, It's all about living a better life for oneself. And then it means thinking about what is best for you and arranging your life accordingly, adopting and amplifying that what works, and then identifying and dispensing of what's not to your benefit, etc. And of course, let's note 
very clearly here that this implies no abuse of others. It's in fact independent of others. And then you also appreciate that each other individual also strives to optimize their own lives. So then where others do come in, it means seeking relationships that are mutually rewarding and dropping toxic or sacrificial ones. It means being neither a sucker nor a bloodsucker, but an independent trader, both in spiritual and material values. Customization, as Matthew puts it here, it means choosing very deliberately everything about one's life, including one's relationships with other people, to the end of making it the healthiest, most prosperous, most satisfying, and happiest life one can achieve. And even on my comparative table, I have an optimist is deliberate and proactive versus a pessimist and subjective optimist, which are um, passive and reactive. So it's all right here. Customization is a very deliberate process. And he's saying that's what you ought to do in your life. And that's what I'm saying it means to be self-interested is to customize your life and try to make it, build it according to your values in the image of your values and the best life you can live. And what can we call this if not selfish? Now, this is a good time to say, I don't necessarily mean the term selfish, but I mean the concept, the concept, whatever you call it, rational self-interest, rational egoism. What is a concept? A concept is a mental package. It includes essentially similar things and it excludes essentially dissimilar things. So can we please stop packaging together a rational, what I would call an objective optimist, a person who thinks about their life, customizes their life, pursues rational values toward their optimal well-being, living their best life, human flourishing, etc., with the hedonistic, emotionalist, doing whatever they feel like, self-destroyer, self-destructive person. Self-destruction and self-interest are opposites. They don't belong in the same mental package. And I think that this poor mental packaging is actually what has caused honest and good people untold confusion and suffering. So, and, and this is what makes me so kind of angry about it and passionate about it. People go, why do you even, what do you, who cares what, what term people use? I care about the terms because I, I actually care about the concepts. And people are using that term to smear and connect together two things that are dissimilar and one of them is bad and one of them is good and then try to denounce the whole thing. This is that second method, right? Combined with the wolf in sheep's clothing, you end up people starting to hang out with the wolf. And I know it's really hard to get the culture, say, to, to really change on this, but anybody listening today and anybody who reads Ayn Rand herself, you can do it for yourself. You can at least change your own mind. You can adopt this proper conception of what it means to, good, to live a good life and stop feeling guilty that you're not waking up every day and going, what can I do for other people today? And no, it's what, how can I make my life the best I can live? And everybody else should be doing that. And I hope everybody else is doing that. And I would just love if everybody were doing that. And we can all trade and engage in win-win relationships and achieve an even better life. Now, to close, I'd like to add one last segment, and it's an open invitation to Matthew McConaughey, which I wrote at the end of this. Actually, this is a show is based on an article I wrote several months ago, and I, I wrote a kind of an open letter to him, and I think I'll do much better to read it. So let me just read it for you right now, and then uh, that'll be it. It says, Dear Matthew, only you can know fully, but from where I can see, I suspect that you're in your own sweet spot much more often than you think. And to the extent that you're not in it, I'm going to suggest that this is in most cases due to the contradictions inherent in your own definition of it, primarily to the extent that it holds that the purpose of your own actions ought to be for the benefit of others if they are to have moral worth. I know this because I spent many years living under the same explicit moral code as most people, the one I was brought up on and which dominates our culture. It's the code I've discussed at length above, the one that emphasizes service and sacrifice to others as one's highest moral duty. 
Implicitly or by common sense, I knew, like many people, that there was some place in a good life for self-improvement, self-development, self-mastery, self-actualization, self-esteem, etc. And I had enjoyed a mostly happy life for many years as I experienced personal triumph, success, love, growth, etc. But it was chronically mingled with a sense of deep-rooted guilt, which could intensify at various periods, but which was nonetheless numbingly ever-present. Since discovering Ayn Rand at 24, however, that guilt has wilted. I now only feel guilty when I disappoint myself or those I love. It is when I betray commitments I have made to myself or to them, whether explicitly or implicitly, but not to random others at large and for debts which I have not agreed to take on and that I don't know the nature of. I live a wholly selfish, flourishing life of non-contradictory joy, and I am proud to say so. And more, I have learned that the more I focus on bettering myself, the more I am of use to others than if I were focused primarily on their well-being anyway. Again, that's not that it's my purpose in life, I hope that I've made that clear by now, but there it is. I've also seen that the people who have done and do the most for me are those who have made the most of their own lives. Larry working on his show benefits others. Cooper's dream, Steve Jobs' vision, Ayn Rand's books, their purpose nor focus was not others. By stark contrast, they were intensely set upon their own goals. But look at the inestimable value added to others' lives. And this is true of every lesser achievement, whatever the scale. Your own movies, your lifestyle, your fun-loving attitude. From what I'd gathered from interviews and such little an outsider can glean, people respect and want to be around you not because you give up your values for others, but because you seem to be a model of personal, may I say here, selfish, success and joy. More than just the material goods that intimately passionate focus and efforts produce in the world, iPhones, inspiring novels, and life-changing philosophies improve lives on earth, the most valuable thing a rationally selfish person can offer others is a model of what living a moral life means and of what the reward looks like. A quote from The Fountainhead here now, uh, Ayn Rand's novel The Fountainhead, quote, Don't help me or serve me, but let me see it once, because I need it. Don't work for my happiness, my brothers. Show me yours. Show me that it is possible. Show me your achievement, and the knowledge will give me courage for mine. And talking back to Matthew now, your sweet spot, properly defined, is virtuous, but it isn't for Jesus Christ or others like him, and I hope you don't aspire to his fate. In a proper morality, sainthood doesn't cost us our lives and happiness by sacrificing values, but is achieved to the extent we gain values toward furthering our lives and attaining our own happiness. Such people as described above are closer to the saints we should aspire to be, each of us to the best of our own abilities. And then I say in a kind of a half-joking way, half-joking, that I see you haven't subscribed to this blog, but if you happen to come across this article, blah, blah, I would like to invite you to talk to me. And I'll say the same thing here in a half-joking way, that if anybody happens to know Matthew McConaughey, please refer him to this uh, episode of this podcast, and uh, you know I would love to talk to him about all this stuff. And then, of course, I refer him to, and I refer you guys to, uh, The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged, and of course... Uh, for a more didactic discussion, you can read The Virtuous Selfishness and other nonfiction. And I just tell you, you'll probably get in there and you'll find yourself reading forever. And we're back to the conclusion of the letter. I understand that celebrities are regular people with extraordinary lives and, like most regular good people, struggle with the same lack of moral clarity as described above. Only celebrities are much more out there and subject to moral public moral judgment. Add to this that their careers are very tied to popular opinion, and they tend to play safe toward a culture's predominant morality, regardless of any questions they may sense. But being idolized as they are, people look to them for examples. And to the extent they let the status quo go unchallenged in their own minds, they help reinforce the predominant trends of the culture. So it's very refreshing when someone like you is confident enough to even attempt to articulate a controversial idea as you have. 
What I hope you realize is that because your benevolent character and goodwill is well established, you have enough clout to say such things and make people pause a moment to consider that there might be something more in them than what their immediate emotional reaction tells them. Emotions are simply automatic reflections of fixed ideas and will reflect differently as ideas are changed. But they must be challenged to be changed. Empowered with your right ideas more clearly conceived, I hope you can be an even better champion for the virtue of selfishness, and I hope more celebrities would be so brave to, instead of appeasing our musty, reeking, centuries-old, self-deprecating morality, proclaim proudly and righteously that they too like to personally try and find a selfish reason why I want to do everything. It'd be a lot cooler if they did. So there it all is, guys. Uh, that's that's everything I've got today. I'm reeling, thinking about, uh, you know, what did I say there? Did I make things clear? Obviously, you can't cover everything and make it perfectly clear. And that's where you guys can come in. You can ask questions about it or comments um, to, to get more clarity on any aspect of anything you heard here today. And I'm really uh, willing to go into it into more detail with anybody. So uh, you can send those questions to matthew.asknow at gmail.com or you can go to the Facebook page. The Mr. Brightside Facebook page is facebook.com slash matthewbolton.ca and I think there if you put questions up there I can I can get in and other people can get in and maybe you can start some conversations among yourselves which might bring some clarity and uh, and, and issues that, that are we really want to uh, that are important. And the main message I want you to take away from this show today and from listening to Matthew is that you should do for you, as he says. Uh, That's what life is all about. I believe that's the moral purpose of life is to live the best possible life you can live, to flourish, to achieve eudaimonia. And that's what I try to promote on this show and what I'm trying to encourage and empower other people to do. And I just want you to remember we shouldn't be undercut by by this guilt from this morality that tells you that your moral purpose in life should be to think about how you can help other people's lives before your own. It just look. There's a, there's a place for helping in other people, but I think the most benevolent and and kind and good relationships are with people who are maximizing their own life and then wishing well for other people. And that's certainly what I want to do here. I want to optimize my own life, and I really wish you well, and I wish everybody well, and I hope you can optimize your own life. So I'll see you guys next time. Hey, hop in, man. Hey, man, whose car? You know Wooderson? Oh. How's it going, man? Hey. Pretty good. How's it going with you? Same, man. You got an ego? Uh, no, not on me, man. It'd be a lot cooler if you did. <laughs> Mr. Brightside, your time out to refresh, refuel, and refocus your mind and energy toward building an optimistic framework for flourishing. Life is good. It's up to you to choose the bright side. <laughs>